Unlock your Bible. Discover the true meaning of life. Learn the cause of world problems and the astounding solution. Prove for yourself what the future holds. In the Trumpet Literature Library, you will find answers to life's most important questions. Explore these vital titles on Trumpet Bookshelf. Welcome to Trumpet Bookshelf. I'm Grant Turgeon. What is the best way for us to live our lives? Is there a secret formula? Is there a preferred path to the ultimate success? Does it matter? Our code of conduct, our moral compass, Well, Jesus Christ had a lot to say about this. When he walked the earth, he lived a certain way that led him to the ultimate success. And he talked about something called the weightier matters of the law. And he said those weightier matters of the law are judgment, mercy, and faith. That's in Matthew 23 verse 23. Jesus Christ conducted himself perfectly for 33 and a half years. And he was the happiest person on earth. He was the most successful person on earth. He performed the most jaw-dropping deeds, God's miracles while on earth. And here he is talking about the law and he's correcting people who ignore the weightier matters of the law. Matthew chapter five is just a classic proof that Jesus Christ expects us to care about the law. Matthew five verse 17, he says, think not that I am come to destroy the law. Or the prophets, I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Now, perhaps more clarification is needed. Clearly, Christ did not come to do away with God the Father's law, the Ten Commandments. But what does it mean to fulfill the law? Well, Jesus Christ went above and beyond in keeping God's law, setting an example for us. And you could see this in the examples that Christ gives in this chapter. For example, here, Matthew 5, verse 27. So Christ is explaining what he means when he says he came to fulfill the law. Matthew 5, verse 27, you have heard that it was said by them of old time, you shall not commit adultery. Verse 28, but I say unto you that whosoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. So he's talking about breaking the seventh commandment. God forbids adultery. God knows that any sort of 
sexual misconduct will destroy lives. It will destroy marriages and families. God made sex as a beautiful expression of love between a husband and wife. Anything outside of that breaks the seventh commandment. Christ says, not only should you avoid the physical act of adultery with a partner, but you shouldn't even look at somebody with that lustful thought in mind. You see, Christ went above and beyond in keeping the law. He came to fulfill the law. He came to magnify the law. He came not just to keep the letter of the law, but the entire spiritual intent of God's law. We human beings can get into some absurd reasoning when we try to stick to just the letter of the law. There have been major scandals in politics and in our society here in America and, of course, in places around the world, too, where maybe people can say, well, I didn't really commit adultery because I didn't do this specific act. But Christ says, even looking at someone with lust, even dwelling on the thought of that sin is breaking God's law. And he says, don't even do that. Don't even let your thoughts go, go astray, much less go to the extreme of seeking out a partner to commit adultery with. There's also an example here in Matthew chapter 5 where Christ says, you know what? Put out the hateful thought. Don't let it get to the point where your hatred gets out of control and you commit murder. Don't even have a hateful thought in the first place. Put those thoughts out. That is the way Christ went above and beyond in his relationship with God's law. He kept the full spiritual intent of God's law. And then he's talking about the weightier matters of the law being judgment, mercy, and faith. These are all crucial elements of a true Christian striving to follow Jesus Christ's example and have the proper relationship with God's law. And just notice the order. Judgment comes first, and then mercy, and then faith. Now, as we will see, love is above them all. Love is coursing through judgment, mercy, and faith as we keep God's law. Love matters most. But here Christ lists judgment first. Now, judgment, why is that so important? Why is that a top priority 
in the way we observe God's laws, in the way that we administer God's laws. God cares about the way we interact with each other, the way we interact with him. And every single day, we need wisdom. We need to pray to God for wisdom in making right judgments. Sometimes, perhaps we want to have a detailed list. All the do's and don'ts. So that we can take our own thinking, our own uh, judgment process out of it. But God really tries hard not to give us too many specific, detailed, nitpicky rules and regulations. In some extreme cases, if it is extremely necessary, perhaps a judgment will be made by God's government. But for the most part, We have to make judgments based on God's law, based on the way that Christ kept the full spiritual intent of the law. We have to think about God's law that way. And it takes wisdom to use good judgment in keeping God's law. There's not a list of movies we're allowed to watch and movies we're not allowed to watch. There's not a set curfew (laughs) that we all must observe our whole lives. Perhaps as children, there is one. Perhaps within a college, there might be one. But there's no specific law that says you can't be out on the street at two in the morning. However, (laughs) wisdom would dictate that that's probably not the best idea. And maybe we could make a judgment that perhaps bad things happen at that time of night. And we don't want to put ourselves in those situations. But judgment, we need to apply judgment. God is not going to legislate tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of possible infractions. That's the way that law is in society. There's so many laws because people are always searching for loopholes. They're always looking for a way around the law. And so the laws have to be written so specifically And to the letter. And there's too many laws for anyone to even be able to remember them all. Not one person in the whole world knows all the laws that apply to him or her. Not one person. There's too many laws. Theoretically, if someone wanted to get you in trouble, he could. He could probably nail you for some law that you're breaking that you didn't even know was a law. That's how corrupt and nonsensical man's way of writing laws is. Meanwhile, 
God simply wrote 10 commandments. And there's a few other statutes and judgments here and there. Maybe some health laws as well. But there's certainly not tens of thousands of them. And God just says, look, use judgment and apply these laws in your life. Respect my law, have a proper fear of me, and just obey. Obey to the fullest. Go above and beyond like Jesus Christ did. So judgment is a crucial part of keeping God's law. And we need to make decisions the way that God would consider what he would think about various circumstances and scenarios and situations. What would Jesus Christ do in the same predicament? And then perhaps we should just try to do what he would have done. That's exercising judgment. Being able to think for ourselves and come to the right decision. Now, the second thing Christ mentioned here in these weightier matters of the law is mercy. God is the father of mercies. God loves to impart mercy and compassion. It's part of his perfect divine nature. Which is really outstanding. <laughs> when, you, when you think about it, it is astounding. It is shocking that God can be as merciful as he, as he really is. Have you ever maybe driven through a neighborhood or gone into a big city and wondered what it would be like to know what was happening behind every closed door of every apartment, of every house, of every office building. There are probably some unimaginably horrific things taking place all around us. And thankfully, we can't see it all. We don't know what's happening in the privacy of people's homes, the type of abuse that might be going on. But God sees it all. Every day, he sees trillions and trillions of sins. He sees mutilation and torture, murder and rape, and every other type of abominable sin every day committed by humans all over the world. And yet, it is in his nature to show mercy. He rules from a th throne of mercy. He wants to forgive us of every sin, even the sins we would consider most heinous and unforgivable. He's just waiting on us to repent. He's waiting on us to realize we're wrong, 
and change. And when we do that, he is ready to teach us and train us and help bring us into his family. Micah 6 verse 8 says, He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the eternal require of you but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? So we talked about judgment similar to justice. It talks about doing justly there. And now we're talking about mercy. It talks about loving mercy. But you see, God's law is a spiritual law. It must be kept spiritual, spiritually. That means true judgment must be applied. That means we must use the spiritual trait of mercy. But we have to remember that Christ listed judgment first. There is cause and effect. There is right and wrong. And when we sin, we bring consequences on ourselves. When we obey, we bring blessings. So we cannot escape the penalties for our wrong actions. However, we can repent and receive forgiveness and mercy from God. God is not going to grind us into the dust if we repent. And even if we don't repent for a long time, he'll keep giving us chance after chance after chance. That's why he gave his only son. He sacrificed Jesus Christ. And that shows how badly he wants to extend mercy to us. Christ told someone that, well, he told Peter that you should be willing to forgive someone 70 times, seven times. That's 490 times. Now, Christ didn't literally mean you mark down 490 times that you forgive someone. And once you get to transgression number 491, it's, it's past the point of being willing to forgive. No, he was just using hyperbole there. Our mercy, our willingness to forgive other people should be limitless. That's how God is. And he wants us to think like him. So when we apply God's law, when we administer God's law, if we're ever in a, in a position of authority over others, we have to use judgment, apply consequences for broken laws, but at the same time, do it with mercy, not, not being overly cruel and hard on people because God certainly isn't that way toward us. God is merciful 
and yet he does not tolerate sin. We have an excellent booklet available to you for free at thetrumpet.com titled The Administration of the Spirit. In this booklet on page 42, Mr. Brian Davis warns against this, this wrong mindset of seeing that God is merciful, that he gives us lots of chances, and then thinking that God actually is okay with us continuing to sin. We have to remember that sin killed Christ. God was put through so much pain during that sacrifice. Sin killed Christ. Of course he's not okay with, with us continuing to act that way. Notice this, this uh, description of God in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. The eternal, the eternal God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. Here on page 42 of the Administration of the Spirit, Mr. Davis writes, Yes, God is full of mercy, graciousness, forgiveness, and is very long-suffering. But there are consequences, serious consequences for sin. And very often those consequences have a lasting impact for decades and into future generations. So be thankful for God's mercy and strive with his help to develop this same aspect of his character within yourself. Again, it's about thinking and behaving the way God does. And finally, this third matter, weightier matter of the law that Jesus Christ listed in Matthew 23, verse 23, it's faith. Now, what does faith have to do with law keeping? Well, we should try to have the living faith of Jesus Christ. Not just faith in Christ, but the faith of Christ. The very faith that Christ had when he was a human. Faith in God's law, faith in his promises, faith in God. Just like Christ had. And that's the type of faith that lives and it stirs us to action to living works with proper faith we can truly fully obey god's law so there is faith there is works they have to go together. You can see that in James chapter 2. They have to go together. Obedience to God's law is good, but if it's not done in faith, it doesn't mean too much. 
So here in this booklet on page 44, Mr. Davis writes, faith is indeed a weightier matter of the law. He quoted Romans 14, verse 23, that says, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So think about that, that verse. That shows a direct connection between the law and faith. Sin is the breaking of the law. And so it says, if you're not doing something in faith, it's sin. So you have the Ten Commandments, and you have to apply judgment to obey those Ten Commandments in every situation in life to, to fulfill the entire spiritual intent of God's law. But then this element of faith even expands God's law. There are certain activities that are not a sin, but if certain people can't participate in those activities without their conscience being violated, if they can't partake in such an activity in faith, then that activity becomes a sin to them. So it's about obeying God's law, but also not doing anything if we can't do it in faith. These are things that are also okay and within the scope of the Ten Commandments. And yet, perhaps we can't do them in faith. So there's the example of someone who maybe sincerely believes that eating meat would be wrong for him to do. God does not condemn eating meat. There are certain meats we should eat and certain that we shouldn't. But if someone really feels strongly convicted that he can't eat meat, then he really shouldn't do it. If he can't do it in faith, then eating meat actually becomes a sin for him. If staying up late or having a drink violates the conscience, then it becomes a sin to us. And we should avoid those things too. We shouldn't just avoid things that directly break God's law, but also things that make us feel as if we're breaking God's law. And that's just really to be safe. So faith does tie directly to law keeping and it is a weightier matter of the law. The same action could be lawful for one person and yet unlawful for another based on each person's faith. But above it all, we have love. Ultimately, God's law is love. It's a royal law. Love fulfills God's law. It says in Romans 13 verse 10. That is above and all throughout judgment, mercy, and faith. Those other weightier matters of the law. Keeping God's law enhances our relationships with God and with each other. We treat 
everybody else better. We treat ourselves better. We treat our families better. And there is peace and unity and countless blessings that come as a result. God's law is love. Love is unselfish. Love is giving, serving, helping, sharing, cooperating. And love fulfills the law. This is the way to live. This is the way to ultimate success, to true freedom. There is no freedom without law. And real law keeping means applying the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith, and above all, love. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been Trumpet Bookshelf. You've been listening to Trumpet Bookshelf. Please email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for new episodes every Friday at 10 a.m. Central Time.